Would you please turn with me to the Gospel of John? John chapter 7, beginning at verse 1, and we'll read down to verse 13. John chapter 7, verse 1. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he is a good man. Others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you because your word is what nourishes us. Your word is what reveals to us your son. Your word reveals to us how we ought to live our lives. God, so we pray that you would help us to see Jesus this morning through your word. Help us to see what you would have for us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord reveals himself in his own timing, in whatever way he dictates. And for some of you, maybe you've grown up in the church or went to the church, church for a long time, and it wasn't until a specific point in time where you came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. At that moment, whatever that day was, something just clicked. Maybe it was in a Bible study. Maybe it was hearing the gospel preached on Sunday morning. Maybe you read the scriptures yourself, but something just clicked. Something just happened, and you recognized, you saw Jesus and you entrusted your life to him. And there was no controlling how that was going to happen. You couldn't control the time, but that was completely in the hands of the Lord. Some of you might be familiar with a man named Cleopas. If not, you're probably familiar with his story. Cleopas uh, and another disciple of, and of Jesus, both of these two men were walking on the road to Emmaus, and they were talking about the things that had just happened in Jerusalem. And while they were discussing these events, a third individual comes up, this complete stranger, and asks them, what are they talking about? And so Cleopas and his friend, they stop. They direct their attention to the stranger, and with sad faces, they tell him, are you the only one who has no idea what's been happening in Jerusalem? And so the stranger says, well, what's been happening? And they tell him about what's been going on. 
that there's this man named Jesus who was mighty in word and in deed, who was a prophet of God, but the religious teachers were angry with him and they delivered up from him up for crucifixion, and they had hoped that Jesus would be the one to redeem Israel. But that wasn't the case because Jesus was crucified and was buried. But then, three days later, after his burial, that the, the people had seen visions of angels and that the tomb was found empty and that even some of Jesus' disciples had gone over to the tomb to look for themselves and discovered that the tomb was, in fact, empty. And then just then, this complete stranger says to the two individuals, Oh, foolish ones, slow to understand. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these, suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then the stranger com- begins to open the scriptures to them, to tell them all the things concerning Jesus Christ. And as they're talking and making their way to Emmaus, they find a place to stay. They sit down to eat, and this stranger takes the bread, breaks it, blesses it, and distributes it. And at that moment was when Cleopas and his friend realized that the person sitting in front of them who's been walking with them this whole time is none other than Jesus Christ. And at that moment, Jesus just simply vanishes. For whatever reason, Jesus did not immediately make himself known to these two individuals. Instead, he helped them to interpret the scriptures, and only after that did he reveal himself to them. They couldn't control that. Only Jesus would decide when he would reveal himself to these two men. No one can dictate how Jesus will reveal himself or when. And that's kind of what we see here in this passage this morning. We see that there's, this, that there's God's divine itinerary, that God is the one who is in control of how and when Jesus will reveal himself. And there's also Jesus' identity, which becomes a, which is a matter of confusion among the people. So in the passage, it tells us that Jesus would not go into Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. And then it tells us that there was a, the Feast of Booths, so then his brothers, Jesus' brothers, tell him to leave here and go to Judea. That is the food, the, be, the, the uh, feast of booths, so that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. So let's begin with a, a quick recap of everything that Jesus has said and done thus far that would have angered the Pharisees or the religious teachers enough to want to kill him. So first, at a time when Jerusalem was uh, swelling up with so many people traveling from all over to celebrate the Passover, Jesus actually cleanses the temple of the money changers and the sellers and all the oxen, and he concludes with a statement about destroying the temple, by which he means the temple of his body. And then, moving forward, Jesus uh, begins to baptize, or Jesus, uh, his disciples begin to baptize people, and then the people begin to realize, or the religious teachers begin to realize that he's baptizing more people than John the Baptist, and so he's drawing more attention to himself and to his ministry. And then, at the synagogue, we saw this last week, Jesus at the synagogue, and surely there would have been teachers of the law there as well, and Jesus is there teaching the people that he is sent from heaven, that he is the bread of life, that if people want to receive eternal life, then they must digest him. That is, that they must believe in him to receive that eternal life. And all these claims that Jesus makes, people are offended by. And then also, let's not forget that before that, Jesus had healed a man on a Sabbath, which the religious teachers found problematic. And so then, now, it's the Feast of Booths. The Feast of Booths, 
was when the people left their homes to make their, their, their dwelling in these booths, or these, there were these small shelters with thatched roofs of palm branches and other plants. And during the feast, the people would actually decorate them with, with uh, different fruits. And the point of this Jewish holiday, and it was one of the most important Jewish holidays after the Passover, but the reason, the reason for this celebration is to help people to remember the days of old when their forefathers left Egypt and wandered in the wilderness, where they also dwelled in these small shelters as well. And the point of the celebration was to be, a, was to be a, a tangible reminder of the Lord's gracious provision during the wilderness wanderings for 40 years. It's a reminder that the Lord is the one who provides, that all that the people have comes from His generous hand, and that they lack nothing because God is with them. And so it was a time for people to leave the comforts of home and the distractions of life and their regular routine in order to, uh, to focus on the Lord. And let's be honest, as wonderful and as good as, as having plenty is, their gifts from the Lord, they can be a distraction from the one who gives us those things. So then, this is the feast that was taking place, and this is a feast that surely Jesus' brothers and Jesus himself would have attended. Now, during this feast, the population would have swelled up with so many people, not only from Judea, but from Galilee and, and Diaspora Jews, and that is Jews who were scattered about in different countries. They would make this pilgrimage to celebrate this feast that was about eight days long. And it's for this reason that Jesus' brothers tell him to go to the festival and make himself known. And the remark that the brothers make about Jesus making himself known, I don't think is meant to be offensive or they meant it to be pointed in any way or, or as, a, as a means of ridiculing him. Because at this point, I think they would have known that they would have identified Jesus as a, as a miracle worker. They probably had seen Jesus perform miracles with their own eyes. But I think it was actually a considerate suggestion. Jesus, if you want to be followed, if you want people to know you, then go to the feast. This is the perfect time and place to make yourself known, right? A rabbi or a teacher is most legitimate when he has followers. And the more followers he has, well, then the, the greater his credibility. And so don't work in secret. Instead, go to the feast and be open about it. And their suggestion may have also even been generated by what's happened just moments before, as we saw last week in John chapter 6, when Jesus loses many of his followers who are offended by his words. And a rabbi seeks to be known and followed, but Jesus, as you and I know, is like no other. The brother says, they say, for no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. So the question is, Jesus, do you want to be known openly? But verse 5 clues us in as to why they make this suggestion, and it is because they don't believe in Jesus. They might believe in him as a miracle worker and maybe even as a good teacher, but they don't believe in Jesus as the Savior, as the one who's come from God. The brothers don't know what they're asking, and they don't understand because they don't believe. On the other hand, Jesus understands and knows what it would do to him and his ministry if he were to take their suggestion and do, and just go and make himself openly known. And Jesus wants, yes, he wants people to know him, but it, it will happen at the right time, and he gradually does through his works and his words but the moment of time when he would most reveal himself, it, it wasn't that time yet. This wasn't the right time. 
And so he tells them that the timing is not right. And this tells us that the timing is not up to his brothers, but the timing is up to God. Jesus says to his brothers, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee, but after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. Jesus often spoke, especially in the Gospel of John, he always, he, he, he always spoke about a specific point in time when he would reveal himself. And that specific, and he refers to it as the hour. And that hour is in reference to the crucifixion. That would be the point in time when he would be most revealed to the world. In John chapter 7, verse 30, it tells us that the religious teachers were seeking to arrest Jesus, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. John 12, 27, Jesus says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Right, so the religious leaders are, are looking for Jesus, and Jesus is standing right in front of them, but, and they want to arrest him and they, because they want to ultimately kill him. But the reason they don't do so is because it wasn't the right time yet. There's a this, uh, divine sovereignty at play. The reason why no one is laying a hand on him is because God is in control and will not allow Jesus to be arrested and brought to crucifixion. And Jesus says that it was for this, for this purpose that I've come to this hour, pointing to the crucifixion. This is why he's coming to the world, to set his face towards Jerusalem, to the crucifixion. This time, when he's talking to his brothers, he's not referring to the specific point in time, but he's talking about the present. In other words, he's telling them that he's not going up to the feast at this moment. So he tells his brothers to go on without him, that he's going to stay behind because he's not going yet. And even here, there's a play of, there's an aspect of divine sovereignty. Jesus tells his brothers that they can go at any time because it's always their time. So, he, in other words, he says, when you go, when, it doesn't matter. It's insignificant when you go. But my time, Jesus says, is of more importance. I mean, just think about having an appointment. Say you have an appointment with a doctor tomorrow at 1 p.m. With this intentionality and setting the schedule, right? You chose the time that worked best for you. And so for the next, and so for that day, right, you have to rearrange your schedule, whatever it is you have to get done, you have to try to get done before your appointment or afterwards, and you have to even factor in travel time. If it's busy time, then you've got to leave your work early or whatever, or your home or whatever it is you do to make sure you get there on time. So things have changed because you have this appointment. There's intentionality, there's purpose, almost nothing is left to chance, and so, Jesus is telling his brothers that this is not their case. Jesus has a specific, he has this divine appointment for the crucifixion. And nothing is going to hasten that day, not even his brothers. And he's telling them that this is not the right time. Your time, you can go whenever you want because at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. There is no sense of purpose. And so, they can go to the feast whenever they want and make themselves open because at the end, it doesn't matter. On the other hand, Jesus will wait for the right time to go because there is a greater purpose and intention at play. Jesus says, and we've seen this before if you've been walking through the Gospel of John, 
In John 5.30, Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 7.16, Jesus says, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. Everything that Jesus says, everything that Jesus does, everything that Jesus teaches, even the miracles that he performs are not done according to his own will, but they're done according to the will of the Father. The Lord moves and he teaches and he says according to what God the Father wants him to do and wants him to say and wants him to teach. Everything, even his itinerary is dictated by God the Father. And so he will go up to the feast when his Father wants him to go. And not a moment sooner because the Father has a plan. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, it speaks of purpose. It says, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And then it goes on to say that there's a time for sowing and a time for reaping, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to be joyful, a time to be sorrowful. In other words, it's telling you that there's a right time for the right things. And Jesus is telling us that there is a right time for the right thing and that this wasn't the right time for him to be revealed. And even for our own lives, right? Even when you came to saving faith in Jesus Christ, that wasn't a moment too soon or a moment too late. That was at the right time. That was at the right the time that the Lord dictated. And even the things that happen in your life right now or are happening right now, they're not by chance. There's no such thing as chance or accidents in the sovereignty of God. Everything that happens in your life is for a purpose, is for a reason, and he means to use it for your good. There are no accidents. There is a time for everything. So for Jesus' brothers, their time is always here, he says, and part of the reason is because they are worldly. They don't believe in Jesus, so that makes them of the world, and the world cannot hate them because they are of the world. On the other hand, the world hates Jesus because he bears witness that its works are evil. In John chapter 3, 19, it says, and this is the judgment, that the light, or that is Jesus, has come into the world, and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. It's like turning on a light in a filthy room. When you turn on the light, you can have a clear picture of how messy the room is. And you might be tempted to just turn it off because it's better to not see it, pretend that it's not there. But even the heart of the matter is that when Jesus comes into the world and exposes the messiness of sin in the world, is that there's no desire to clean it up in our hearts. But Jesus has come not only to expose the filthiness of sin in the world and even that of his own brothers, but he's come to help restore order to the mess. But it was not the time to do it yet. Not in this moment. So Jesus' brothers go on to the feast, and only later does Jesus go, but in private. He's not wanting to reveal himself. So Jesus' timing and how he reveals himself is all dictated not by his brothers, but by the Father. And then secondly, we see Jesus' identity. And that the revelation of his identity is, is not left up to the people to make clear, but it's up to him. So continuing the passage, it says the Jews were looking for him at the feast, that is the religious teachers, and they were saying, where is he? And there was much muttering among, among, about him among the people. While some said he's a good man, others said, no, he's leading the people astray. 
Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. So the religious, the religious teachers are looking for Jesus in the midst of this festival, of this, of this feast. And the, topic of conver- or the secret topic of conversation during the feast is Jesus. Who is Jesus? It's kind of the right thing in a sense because the festival is centered, supposed to be centered on God. And so here they are talking about the God made flesh, even though there are questions surrounding his identity. People are not really clear, they don't really understand who Jesus is, and this has always been the case. In John 7, 40, it says, when they heard these words, when, Jesus, when they heard Jesus' words, some of the people said, this is really the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ, but some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was division among the people over him. Everyone has an opinion about Jesus. No matter who you ask, everybody has something to say about Jesus. Even after thousands of years, there's still varying opinions about who Jesus is. I mean, there was so much division about Jesus during his day, in the days of his flesh, when he is walking amongst man. And much more so now that he is not here. Even after having the scriptures, the clarity of the scriptures, there's still so much division about who Jesus is. And Christianity has become this sort of this broad spectrum where on one side you have orthodox Christians and on the other side you have those who deny important aspects of the gospel such as the resurrection or the divinity or the humanity of Jesus Christ or even denying some of the important ethics of the Bible and still consider themselves Christians. Even though all the Bible is about Jesus Christ, and the, the scriptures are not intended to get us to be confused about Jesus, but instead point us to the identity of Jesus. And I like the Gospel of John in particular, because I think more than any other gospel is that it presents us such a clear and accurate picture of who Jesus is, so that the reader can come to understand and know for themselves who Jesus is through the divine illumination of the Spirit of God. So while there are so many diverse opinions about Jesus, on the, other way, on the other hand, the ones who felt that they were absolutely certain about who Jesus was were the religious teachers. The teachers were on a seek and destroy mission. Because the beginning of the text tells you that they were looking for Jesus because they were looking to kill him. Right? You certainly don't seek to kill someone you don't have an opinion about. And they certainly have their opinions about Jesus. In Matthew eleven nineteen, Jesus says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they say that as religious teachers, people say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Right? This is what people are saying about Jesus. Just because he comes to dine with sinners, they call him a drunkard, a sinner, a glutton. In John ten nineteen. After Jesus teaches, it says there was again a division among the Jews because of these words, the words of Jesus. And many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? So this is what people thought about Jesus. This this man is insane. How can we listen to him? He's not in his right mind. And what tends to cause division about the identity of Jesus Christ is not so much his works, but more so it is his words. If Jesus had only performed miracles and had not said a single word, there probably wouldn't be so much confusion about who Jesus is. 
But it is his words that are most important. And it is his words that we ought to pay special attention to. Yes, his works do reveal a lot of things about Jesus, but it is his words that interpret those works for us. And we see this most clearly in the crucifixion. Right, and this is the moment on time where Jesus re- fully reveals himself. It is through, the dying, through his dying on the cross. But the scriptures tell us that at the crucifixion, there were two other criminals to his left and to his right. And what distinguishes him this distinguishes Jesus from the other two. It is his words. What makes him stand out is who Jesus says he is. If Jesus had not said anything to us about who he is and what he came to do, what his purpose is, then he would have been just another common criminal sitting on the cross. But what makes him stand out is, is his words. I mean, we would not even be here this morning as followers of Jesus Christ if all he did was die on a cross and never told us anything about what the cross means and what it's intended to do, what it's intended to accomplish, and why we need it. But it is his words that are important because it is his words that interpret for us his works. I mean, that's just, and, this, and that's, that's the gospel, right? We have, in the gospel, we have the works and the words of Jesus. And, and Jesus himself tells us that he is sent from God the eternal divine son of God, come to earth, born of a virgin, lived as like one of us, grew up in stature and wisdom and knowledge, and yet never once disobeyed, but lived in perfect obedience, not just unto his parents, but more importantly, unto God his Father. And he tells us that he came to die on the cross for the sins of his people. He went to the cross as the son of God and as the son of man, was buried, and then raised from the dead three days later. And he tells us that anyone who believes in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior will be saved. They will have their sins forgiven because that's what we ultimately need, right? Because we were created by God to worship God, to live in community with God. But when we sin, we are separated from God because what, does, what can holiness have to do with sin? And so Jesus reconciles us back to God the Father through paying the penalty of our sins, so that we can be forgiven, so that we can have this communion with God and live eternally with him. So it is his works and his words in combination that we need in order to understand and know who Jesus is, to understand who he is and what he came to do. Right, and if you are here and you do not follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that is the gospel message. That's what we want you to believe in. Believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and you can have eternal life with God. And so we need his words and his works. And so the people are hearing Jesus. They're seeing him perform miracles even. But there still seems to be so much confusion about who he is and what he came to do. And in part, it's because they're not, they're not listening. Right back in John chapter 6, Jesus told them plainly who he is and what he came to do, what he came to accomplish, and yet many people refused to listen and walked away from him. And so here is Jesus. It's the Feast of Booth. He's not wanting to hasten the day of his glorification through the crucifixion so that he goes to the feast in secret. 
So in a feast that is dedicated to God and it's centered on God, all the people leave their comforts so that they can focus on God and see God more clearly. Here is God in the flesh amongst them, but in secret. It's kind of an interesting irony. Jesus intends to reveal himself, but in his own way and on his own terms and according to the divine plan of the Lord. And also Jesus is the exact image of God. His very life exudes the person of God. Everything he says and does is according to God's will. The divine revelation of God and the person of Christ is not meant to stir controversy, but is meant to be a, a source of comfort and joy and hope and a source of eternal life. And even he himself, Jesus, says in John 3 that to look upon the Son and to believe in him is to receive eternal life. That is why Jesus chooses to reveal himself. And so, let me leave you with a concluding thought. Sometimes, sometimes we lose sight of the Lord. We let the busyness of life distract us from the gospel. We have a tendency to magnify our situation so that they cast a shadow over the light of the gospel. Even in our plenty, those things can cloud us from seeing the image of Jesus Christ. I love, this, I love this particular feast because like I mentioned before, it recognizes that things can be a distraction from the Lord. So that in this festival, you're called to come out of your places of comfort and your, your things in order to focus on the Lord. And sometimes, you just need to get away from stuff so that you can focus on the Lord and see Him clearly. Sometimes that just needs to happen. You know, so why not consider taking a week, a Saturday, or just a few hours during your week just to sit alone and to be with the Lord, just be with Jesus, to seek him in his word, to seek him in prayer? Or if you're not doing this already, why not set aside a half hour, a day, you just be in the word and in prayer, remove, turn off the phone, remove the distractions, and just focus on Jesus. Because you need, you and I both need that time of silence and solitude. And you know what? Sometimes, sometimes we just need to slow down and sometimes the Lord will help you to do that. There may be times when the Lord will make you slow down. There may be times when he will allow you to suffer want. And why would he do that? And it's because to reorient you back to him so that you can see him Clearly. This is, I want to read this prayer to you. This is little prayer book. This is a collection of prayers called the Valley of Vision. It's a collection of, of Puritan prayers. They're like mini sermons in the form of prayers. They're like super, super encouraging. And so I want to just read this to you. This prayer goes like this. Lord, high and holy, meek and lowly, thou hast brought me to the valley of vision, where I live in the depths but see thee in the heights. Hemmed in by mountains of sin, I behold thy glory. Let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, 
that the repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to have nothing is to possess all, that to bear the cross is to wear the crown, that to give is to receive, that the valley is the place of vision. Lord, in the daytime, stars can be seen from the deepest wells, and the deeper the wells, the brighter thy stars shine. Let me find thy light in my darkness, thy life in my death, thy joy in my sorrow, thy grace in my sin, thy riches in my poverty, thy glory in my valley. The dark times in our life can present an incredible, incredible opportunity to see the light of Jesus Christ. You need only to just stop, remove yourself from the distractions, and just seek the Lord. And for you, it will just, it'll just look different, right? For some of you, you like to be you're social butterflies. It's not a bad thing. You like to be about with people. You have to gather with people. You take every opportunity to hang out with people. So, so for you, it might be to just being home alone, spending some time in silence and solitude. Just be with Jesus. Just to seek him out. Or if you a person who are just, who's just busy with a lot of things, maybe work has been incredibly busy for you. You just like, you have a lot of tasks on your plate, a lot of things to do. Maybe what you need to do is just force yourself to slow down. Take some time away, just a couple hours, and just pursue Jesus. For some of you, you like, you're, you're an introvert. You like being alone. You like spending most of your time alone. Not that you hate people, <laughs> but you enjoy being alone. But maybe... Maybe for you, to see the light of the gospel, maybe for you, that means seeking people out and seeking encouragement through fellowship, through gospel community. Maybe that's what's it for you. Maybe the Christian life is a, is a pilgrimage. Right? Like, like this feast, the people were, were making this pilgrimage to Jerusalem to leave their places of comfort, to focus on the Lord. That's what we are. That's what the Bible describes us as, pilgrims. We're on a journey. We're on our way to what the heavenly kingdom that awaits us. And so we're constantly having to fight the distractions of the world. And so, how are you doing? Are you pursuing the kingdom? What does that look like for you in this moment? What do you need to do to reorient your heart and your mind to pursuing Jesus? Some of you have to make a decision to no longer be distracted by the things that are going on or people are saying or things like that, to just be with the Lord and pursue Him and seek Him and find the light of the gospel. And so that's, that's my encouragement to you. And, I, and I, I'm praying for you, and I would cover your prayers as well because I can easily be distracted by a lot of good things but neglect pursuing the Lord. It's easy, right? I mean, we can be distracted by doing a lot of reading, reading uh, listening to a lot of podcasts on the way to and from where those are good things, even if they're gospel-centered podcasts and books. But it doesn't replace just sitting in solitude and in silence and just praying and spending it with Jesus. Remembering the gospel, remembering his works, and remembering his words that interpret his works.